Mid-market sized businesses are where the true economic action in business really is. They are nimble and agile. They're factories of growth, they lead in innovation, and they're early adopters of tech. These enterprises need the right tools, support and environment to flourish. But sadly, they're often overlooked and undervalued. Not here though. This is the Mid-Market Matters podcast, and I'm your host, Craig West. We'll explore pain points, growth strategies, and how to find the competitive edge. Welcome to SME Radio. In this episode of Mid-Market Matters, we're joined today by a really interesting presenter, Bob Moester, who's the president and CEO of the Rewired Group, a founder as well, and he talks about demand-side innovation. He's an engineer by background, but he's all about sales and the fact that most professionals are not great at sales. In fact, most find it very uncomfortable. Bob's joining us from Michigan. Bob, firstly, thank you for joining us. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. So tell me a little bit about how an engineer becomes an expert in sales. It's a little bit of an unusual career path. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, first of all, I would never classify myself as an expert in sales. But what I would say is that uh, sales is one of those things that um, having been a founder uh, seven times over, having uh, been uh, in the innovation space and building over 3,500 different innovations, one of the things that I find is the most struggling moment that most people have is selling, whether it's selling your new idea, whether it's selling, uh, having people come on board, whether it's selling it to customers, you find that sales is one of those things that is, like at the cornerstone of every business, but yeah, mm-hmm. don't teach sales at business school. <laughs> like Absolutely. they teach you, how, they teach you, you know, marketing. They teach you finance. They teach you, you know, human resources. They teach you all the other things. But like, why do they not have sales professors? And so this is kind of where it started because it was like uh, one of my one of my good friends. He basically we sat around and said like like. Why are there no sales professors when it's the hardest part of every business? And so that's really where this came from was um, how do we actually start to talk about sales from a different perspective? And so you start to realize like one of the reasons why there are no sales professor is because there's no sales theory. There's marketing theory. There's accounting theory. There's finance theory. But there's no sales theory. And so yeah, we basically absolutely. took – yeah, so we've working on for a while, almost 30 jobs to be done, which is people don't – uh, byproducts, they hire them to make progress in their life. And we said, what if we started to teach people sales from the perspective of how people buy as opposed to how we want to sell? And when you flip that lens, and all of a sudden sales becomes less icky. <laughs> it gets to this point where you start to realize like sales is about helping people. Sales is about finding the fit between your product and what they're trying to do or your service and literally helping them make progress in their lives. And oh, by the way, when you do that, they'll pay you money. And you start to realize, like, I don't have to actually feel bad about selling because I'm helping. And so it's a, it's a, you could say it's a trick, but the reality is, like, as an engineer, I never thought I'd ever write a book or do anything around sales, but I realized that sales is at the cornerstone of any really good idea or any innovation needs somebody who has a sales mentality of helping people make progress. And it's so true. I mean, I work with some of the best accountants, lawyers, financial advisors, investment banks, you know, et cetera, they're fantastic at what they do, but right. you watch them in sales meetings and you can see physically they're uncomfortable. They just don't want to be there. Right. Why well, is that? Why do you think people get I, such a, you know, such an uncomfortable feeling around anything to do with selling? Well, it goes back to this whole notion of nobody wants to be sold. People just want to buy. 
And so this whole aspect is the way that we talk about sales is, is we think of the used car salesman trying to sell you something you don't want. And so when you you move into that mode, it's like, well, you need to talk about yourself and you need to talk about your product and you need to talk about what you do. And it's like, no, what if I talk about your problem and I just understand what you're trying to do and then tell you how I can help you solve your problem? All of a sudden it becomes way easier. I think the fact is, is that most people are very like, like, I, like you started out with how do I become an expert in sales? Well, the first thing I would say is I'm not an expert in sales, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Right. And and so this is the thing is, is that the sales world wants you to think that you should you should be the expert in sales to do it. It's like, no, I I just have learned that the fact that I can actually help people figure out their own problems and help them solve them. And if you happen to if I happen to help you help you, that's great. If not, I'm going to point you in the direction of finding somebody else you and move on. Right. It becomes this notion of serving people as opposed to selling people. Right. And that. That's what you describe as the, you know, understanding why we buy in order to improve our sales right. skills or our selling. That's right. And so what, what's so interesting is that when you start to pull this thread, you go back to what I what I consider like the foundation of modern management, who's Peter Drucker. And he says, you know, as much as as uh, businesses think they know about their customer, they're more wrong than right. And they rarely customers are rarely buying what you think you're selling. <laughs> mm. And he said this, you know, 70 years ago. And it's like, okay, like, how do we pull that thread? And you just start to realize, like, we, we really don't take the time to listen because the way that we're taught, at least I was taught in business school is what I call, or, or in engineering school, was what we call the, what I call the supply side of the world, which is in the supply side world and supply side thinking. It's like, I have a product, I build a product, and that company builds that product and has features and benefits and, and, um, you know, uh, attributes and experiences. And and what I do is if I build a mattress, I go like, all right, who needs a mattress? And then anybody who needs mattress or could possibly need a mattress is now a prospect or right. they're a market or they're a segment or they're a persona. But the reality is like, if you take a minute and say like, what causes somebody to say today's the day they need a new mattress? It's no one's in, in anyone's vocabulary. And to be honest, nobody actually wants a mattress. They just want to sleep better. And so That's, we, yeah, we don't take the time to actually understand what people are trying to do and trying to accomplish. So all of a sudden I correlate everything. I correlate, well, anybody who has a house and has a bedroom needs a mattress. So the market is, you know, X hundreds of millions of, you know, you know, mattresses, which turns into X millions of dollars. But the reality is, is people only buy a new mattress when there's very specific things going on in their life. And there's very specific outcomes in their life. And it turns out that there's only three or four different main pathways of why people hire a new mattress. And so instead of correlating it, if I look at causation, figure these things out. And so, again, it's it's more trying to make sales uh, um, a thing where we understand when, when and where and why, not just who. Yeah. And that's so that's what you're describing as the demand side of the equation. People right. aren't buying a mattress to buy a mattress. They're buying a mattress because they're having trouble sleeping or they're, you know, whatever it might be. And you've got to understand so, what that demand driver is. That's right. The other part is you start to realize is the competition on the demand side is very different. So here, here, the US, what I would say is the, the, the five main competitors to a new mattress is Scotch, <laughs> right? <laughs> yep. Zequil, the Barca lounger, and working out late. Like, like we don't think of it as a mattress is the problem. We can't sleep. So, you know what? I'm going to work out later or I'm going to take some z or I'm going to 
have a couple glasses of scotch before I go to bed. And you start to realize like the question shouldn't be, do you need a mattress? The question should be, do you need a better, do you need better sleep? Do you need better habits around it? And it's like, how much is the mattress part of your notion of getting better sleep? So, so for example, what, one of the companies we helped basically we said like the advertising was how many bottles of z do you need to buy before you realize you need a new mattress? <laughs> Yes. And, the, and also the sales went through like, oh, you're right. Why am I taking all the sequel? They don't even know that they have a mattress problem because they just think it's them. They don't think it's the mattress. Mm. <laughs> it's an interesting because it changes completely then the, the, the dynamics, the pricing, the advertising, everything. Exactly. Because if, you, if you're competing with three other mattress companies trying to be the cheapest or show that you've got a better mattress, it's a different marketing process. Well, here's, here's the key is in, in the U.S. we have a, a mattress company called uh, Casper. They literally have come out of nowhere in the last four or five years. They're a billion dollars, right? A billion dollars to a, to a business that's been around forever has been hugely competitive. And what do they do? They literally ask you eight or 10 questions about you and what's going on and why you need a mattress. And people would much rather buy a mattress they've never touched than actually try to go into the sales process of a room of 50 or 60 mattresses and somebody going like, lay down on it, see which one you want. Like, I don't yeah. know how to make a decision that way. That's the craziest thing in the world. Yeah, it is, absolutely. <laughs> it's really so, interesting to understand the difference, isn't it? I mean, it must yeah. make a big difference. So, so I was talking with a firm the other day that, that's a law firm, right? And they're like, I'm like, so what causes somebody to, to, to get a will? And they're like, what do you mean? Well, everybody needs a will. I appreciate from your perspective that's true. But, like, something has to happen in their lives to say today's the day, like, oh, my God, we should get a will. One of them yeah. is like when they both fly on an airplane together without the children. It's the first time they realize like, oh, my gosh, like if we die, what happens? It's like, well, you can fly separately. Well, we don't want to do that. OK, then what are you going to do? And you start to realize it's context that creates the value of this, not the out, not not just the features and benefits of the product. Mm, that's So I'd be really interested to hear. I'm sure you've worked with companies that have actually taken this on board and used the content concept of demand side sales yeah could you could you share with us a few examples yeah. of people that so, have used so one, one is a, like a software company right it's a, a company called autobooks they're based in detroit where i'm from and the the one of the one of the head of products is one of my co-founders of the rewire group which is uh, the small design firm i have here in detroit but um what what we did is we just basically so to me everything starts with the struggling moment. Where is the struggling moment both in the buying and in the selling part of the business? And so I went to their head of sales and I said like where where do you struggle the most? And he goes oh it's the demo. Every ninety days we're changing the demo. Like all we're trying to do is we you know, line people up and get them in the demo. And once we get the demo we close them. I'm like and how's it going? He goes, well you know it's like. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, so we have to change it. I'm like, okay, well, let's let's just look at it for a second from the demand side. Because I'm like, where are they in the buying timeline? And he looks at me like, what do you mean, buying timeline? I'm like, well, there's five things. People have to have a first thought. If they don't actually have a struggling moment and, and you walk into their lives and talk to them about it, they can't even hear you. Their, life, their mind is full. The first thought is the thing that creates the space in the brain for the solution to fall into. So... How do you actually understand where they sit in terms of like, do they need a solution or do they have a problem of any sort? Two is passive looking. How do they learn about it? And then there's active looking. This is where they invest time to figure things out. And then deciding is about making trade-offs. And so what they realized is the one demo was actually being used throughout the entire process, the entire buying process, but it really was actually inefficient and ineffective because 
at some point in time, if you gave them a demo and what we call passive looking, which is, hey, I really don't know about this thing and I'm, I'm trying to learn about it. You know, tell me a couple of stories, help me understand how it fits in, how I might actually pull other people together. But for the most part, educate me so I know how to pull everybody else together. Well, the demo was literally telling them all the technical requirements and the person who's listening to it is like not in charge of the technical part. And then they, right? And then you go to active looking. Active looking is where they want to, it's almost like they have a magic wand and they want to look and change everything. And like they want everything, but they don't want everything. And they haven't really connected the price and the implementation. But do you do this? Do you do that? Right? And then there's this point where they 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 put it all together and says like, well, what do we do next? And so what we did is we took that demo and we pulled it apart and we made three demos. The first one is, is like, if you're in passive looking, let me, let me ask you way more questions than you're going to ask me. Right. And then they had to earn the right to the second demo, which was then active looking, which is you need to make sure you've got marketing and you've got technology and you've got banking, you've got all these people in the room. So when we talk to them, they're going to understand it and you see it cross-functionally. And then the third demo is literally where we'll come back with three different uh, implementation plans that you can decide which one to do. And the reason is three is most people have to eliminate something in order to choose. And so if you give them one option, it's do it or not. When you give them two, they compare the two to each other. But when you give them three, the first thing they do is eliminate one of them. And right. once they eliminate one of them, then they compare the other two to the eliminated one. And they choose by actually picking the ones they don't want to do. Right. And so and so just by changing it this way, what the two things we did was we're able to one is we were almost able to double the conversion rate because they'd asked them where they were in the timeline. And they figured that the, the half the time they were actually telling people the wrong information at the wrong time and it would turn them off. Yeah. Yeah. The second thing they, they were shocked about is they thought by by having three demos, it would take longer. They actually have their sales cycle because it literally put people in the sequence of how they buy, right? And then the third thing out of that was when they went to implement, it was actually almost a third, like faster. Like they were able to do it almost, instead, like instead of six months, it took two months because everybody was on board. And so what they end up doing is building stories about how to tell, to help people, they help people make progress. And then, then they would actually talk about the features and benefits that it would do, but they would talk about people's stories first and progress first, as opposed to trying to talk about their sales funnel and their product. So it's more about the process and the timeline and how you take the journey through that's right. rather than at the end you'll end up with this benefit. That's right. And it's whose process, because they would always say, like, there's our sales process. But what they would keep talking, I kept saying, like, you got to stop. Nobody cares about your sales process. What they care about is their buying process. Yes. So the question becomes, where are you in the buying process? And they're going to like, what do you mean? And now you get a chance to educate them about, well, this is how most people buy this product. They do this and they do this. And they, where are you in this thing? And it's like they talk about kind of the mentality. They talk about kind of where they are in terms of their education. They talk about where they are in terms of deciding and budgeting. And the thing is, is most people don't want to reveal that stuff up front when they say, hey, I'm selling because they don't want to be sold. But mm -hmm. when you frame it as like, if you're buying, let me understand where you are so I know when and where to provide you the right information. And all of a sudden, the whole dynamic changes from being almost adversarial to being par partner based. Which is all about then what you started with was how do I help you solve your particular problem? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and if I can't, I, the, the one thing I promise, like, I'm not going to try to sell you something you don't need. <laughs> yeah. So if I can't help you, I'm going to say, look, 
there's no point you buying X because it's not going to help right. you. What you need is Y. That's right. Or and, you need and to go so, and talk to someone else or whatever it is. So yeah. I, had, I had a great conversation the other day with some people who like have been tra trained in, uh, let's say, different sales techniques. And what they say is like, well, we get the pain that people have and then we morph the product to fit the pain. I'm like, well, can the product fix the problem? We're like, well, we don't know. That's not that's not, our job is to make sure we can connect our their pain to our product. I'm like, but does it work? And they're like, I, I don't know. I'm like, okay, that's what's wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because if you're not solving a problem, there's nothing there to buy. Well, that's what value is. Value is actually helping you do things that you couldn't do before, or helping you say you know be more efficient than you were before, or literally help you grow when you know, with, with, by doing different things. So part of it is understanding this, this whole thing for me started as a quest to understand value and where does value come from? And value does not come from the supply side of the world. It comes from the demand side of the world. When people struggle, they're willing to pay money to base or time or knowledge to literally help them make progress. Yes. And so that's how I've dedicated kind of my life is to help people make progress. And here's the thing is, well, I feel, and I, I do this, I do, I work in so many different industries, but one of the things is, is the craziest part is this, is when you actually put a price on your service, for example, one of the things that comes back is then people will value it. But when you offer it for free, they actually can't value it. So the only thing they can value is your time. And so if, if I'm giving away my time or I'm giving away something, quote, for free, I make sure they have a time they, they have to actually put some value on the time of it then because otherwise nobody nobody takes free advice and does anything with it. <laughs> That's absolutely correct. It's interesting, isn't it? So yeah. I've got sitting here in front of me your book, Demand Side Sales, and it says yeah. stop selling and help your customers make progress, which is exactly what I've just been talking about. Um, yeah. How and why did you write the book, firstly? So, so the interesting part of this is, so I'm, I'm dyslexic. So I've, uh, I've, I've had three close in, brain injuries when I was a small child and, and I haven't been, I've been hacking my way of reading for, for a long time. Wow. And I, I, I've had uh, some great mentors. So I, one of my mentors was a gentleman by the name of Dr. Deming, who was in Japan. Um, he's the father of quality. I was 85. I, he was eight, I was 18. He was 85. Um, I've had Clay Christensen as a as a as an advisor and mentor and friend for 30 years, and I've I feel like now and uh, all of my mentors have passed, and now it's to this point where I feel like I have this obligation to who took a, an illiterate dyslexic kid from Detroit and taught him these tools and methods and and theories, and it's my job to kind of pass them on. And so as I started to look for that, I found I found a process through a company called Scribe Media where I can talk to people and they can actually take my words and turn it into the book. And so what's interesting is when you read the book, it sounds exactly like I talk because that's how the book was written. It's very conversational. That's quite right. Yeah. It is very conversational. And so part of this is that I have, so I have like five books. I've already done four other books. What is called Choosing College. I worked with Clay Christensen on a book called uh, competing against luck. I've worked on uh, something called the Jobs to Be Done Handbook, but I've always had to have collaborators on it. This is my first book that I've been able to kind of like. So we started last October. Um, we literally frame out, you know, what what job do we want the book to do? How do we want to, you know, um, what what progress are we trying to have people make? And then we break it into chapters, and then we just take two hours and we talk about each chapter, and then they uh, for uh, ten weeks in a row. 
and then they go off and they write the first version of it. And what they did is then they, they recorded every chapter for me and I wow. provide feedback. And then I was able to have the book in just about six months. And then the production was the other side of it. But I was I, I like, I can't like, I'd love to read the book. I can't even read the book. <laughs> so I can't even do the audio portion. So I already have sale uh, demand side sales 201 coming, which is like the how to version of it. So how do we actually uh, articulate from marketing sales and customer success perspective? I have people wanting to tell me about like different techniques. What are marketing techniques to help? What are uh, uh, sales techniques and how do we actually kind of, so this is more or less like the theory book or the, the framework book to help people kind of think about it differently. And then I want this practitioner book, but that's uh, yeah, and then I have a, a yeah. 301 that's coming that's going to be about new metrics. I think we have all the wrong metrics around how you think about sales. It's like I feel like we're so, such a slave to the funnel and 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 how the funnel works. And the fact is, is it's not, not it's not about more people in. It's actually about basically getting the right people in. And so it shouldn't actually be you know a, a thousand people in and ten thousand or ten people out. It should be. Um, because at some point I might not be able to value your services today, but it might be tomorrow. And so this whole notion of that, we all change and it's context that helps us manage when we struggle. Can we actually focus not only on who, but when, where, and why? Yeah, that's fantastic. I actually read a book not long ago, um, which was titled, They Ask, You Answer. And it was talking about a very similar thing, which was around the fact that most websites and most marketing material is just pushing a whole stack of information. What this talks about is answer the questions that your customers are asking. Yeah, that's right. Which well, is and your story about picking the mattress. You know, what are you that's having right. trouble I, I, think other, I think the other part is helping people frame questions. Like they struggle, but they like, like at some point, like, you know, like your, your bank, at some point, like, like what, what would ever cause you to switch banks? Like, and you're like, like the bank is the most unemotional, but you start to realize like when people have a good bank, they, they, they like, there should be asking more questions. And the moment you, they have them ask, start asking good questions, they go like, why am I being charged for this? Why, wait, you're charging me for putting my money in your bank when you use my money to like, and all of a sudden like, yeah. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be doing that. So all of a sudden it's like, you should, you can ask them questions to create struggling moments, but then you need to actually have the answers when they frame the questions that help them make progress. So it's good questions are the things that drive it all. And so ultimately being a great question asker is, is kind of one of the core principles of what I talk about as being an innovator, but it also is about, about managing life. Fantastic. So the book's come out fairly recently. I'm, I see that it's going very, very well on Amazon and so yeah, on. Yeah, Amazon, it's, uh, it's, to be honest, it's number one in uh, in small business sales, small uh, selling it, selling and marketing behavior, like all these categories that I had no idea even existed. Like, so it, I think number, my favorite is I think I'm number one in real estate sales, which is like that. I mean, that tells you something. <laughs> Absolutely, because they're supposed to be the sales gurus, right? You'd think, you'd think. So it's it's pretty funny, but it's 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 really about trying to complement the way we sell, and it's it's also kind of written for people who who sell who are not natural salespeople. So think of like, like, so one of the, one of the notions or one of the people we talked about is like a nurse or a, a doctor who's trying to convince a patient to follow a rehab re regime, right? They have to sell the, they have to sell them on that. Yep. yep. At the end of the day, you have to help them make progress. And a teacher actually has to, to sell a student on a lesson. And most people say, teachers are like, I don't do that. It's like, yeah, but 
if you don't can if you can't resonate with them the right way, they're not going to make progress. And so you're the one who facilitates progress. Let's talk about how to make progress with a student. Yeah. Right? And all of a sudden you start to realize, and it's not about the aggregate or that there's the ideal way to teach, but there is the the there is a way to learn and to be able to understand how do your students learn as as then should dictate the way you teach. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Right, so that that's really kind of some of the so it's it's a very uh, universal kind of high level book. But it, it, it like the the here's the thing is most people who read the book the first thing that I get out of them I'm like oh god I love the book I'm like so how do you apply it to your business I'm working on that but I have to tell you I'm a way better consumer now like I'm more conscious of what pushing me and pulling me and what my timeline is where is it like so if anything if you pick it up it'll just help you be more purposeful to the things you purchase and that's a great way to describe it so before we wrap up we do have to wrap up fairly soon we're getting close to time but i'm really interested in your number one tip for mid-market business owners what's the number one thing you think people should do apart from buy your book and read it yeah, yeah, yeah. what else I, do you think they need to do yeah i think i think the number one thing is to find the struggling moments that really cause people to say today's the day i need a lawyer there's not going to be a hundred of them there's not going to be there's not one but there's a few and they're path, think of them as pathways. I call them jobs. There's jobs that people have to get done. And it's like, what are the jobs that people really hire you for? And being able to understand those struggling moments because before there's a solution and before there's, there's actually a market, there's demand. And demand starts with struggling moments. So find the struggling moments and you will find out where basically you can help people and they'll value you. Fantastic. Bob, thanks so much. It's been really interesting to hear all about the demand side sales model, and I'm really looking forward to demand side sales 201. Yeah, yeah. thank more. you. Thanks for having me on. It's it's a, it's a pleasure to be to be uh, able to do this in how how you know in the middle of all this pandemic to do this in in uh, Australia is kind of amazing. So I appreciate it as I sit in in uh, you know the Midwest of the United States and able to 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 spread the word down down under is awesome. So thank you for having me on. Fantastic, mate. Thank you very much. Been really interesting and useful information. And I look forward to catching up again when the next one comes out. Perfect. Thank you. Be well. Stay safe. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mid Market Matters. I hope you found this episode helpful and informative for your business. To find out more, go to midmarketmatters.com.au. And to download other episodes, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening.